0: you came in earlier. We started today with our preschoolers spending the entire hour uh, in a time that's been designed specifically for them, but we do want to take an opportunity and go ahead and dismiss our kindergarten, first, and second graders with Miss Becky and Miss Joy. They're going to head out this way, and then Stevens will come up this way, and our third, fourth, and fifth graders can come up and get their activity packets. Uh, So we'll go that way with our kindergarten, first, and second graders. Our third, fourth, and fifth graders can come out here and get their packets. Our preschoolers are already already back there. The rest of us can find Psalm 42. Psalm 42. If you're going to use one of the Bibles uh, in the chairs around you, I think it's uh, somewhere around page 494. Uh, So the kindergarteners, first and second graders are headed that way. The preschoolers are already back there. Third, fourth, and fifth are coming down for their packets. And while all that is going on, uh, it's usually at this point in time that I take a minute to encourage us about our, our tithes and our offerings, our giving. And what I often forget, I don't. I try not to spend too much time. I just want to highlight it, point it out, because we don't pass the plates anymore. We have the, the boxes uh, at the uh, entrances and exits. Uh, and just want to make sure that uh, you know that that's going on, that, that that's available to you. But I often forget in, when I have a week like this where I have a couple of different people who say, you keep using the word tithe. What does that mean? Uh, well, actually, it means a, it means. 10 percent that's that's what it literally means and so when those of us who are believers those of us who are members of this of this church we identify what we are committing to is that we give uh, the first 10 percent of our income to the church and to what God is doing through his church but a lot of times we don't know what that goes toward or what that provides for uh, and so um, I just have to say think about okay what's what's something that everybody's going to understand and I realize today, as i was i was heading to one of our bible fellowship classes in building 4 and to get there i went from that door to that door and at the minute i exited the door i realized that the, that the outside does not have air conditioning <laughs> and i was sweating by the time i got to building 4 and i thought thank god for air conditioning and thank god for air conditioning that works And thank God for air conditioning that works when you turn it on and you need it to. Because the other day as I was driving in my truck, I was just heading down the highway. I was going to meet uh, somebody for something. And the air conditioning in my truck decided to stop. Just stop. No, hey, by the way, I'm tired. No, hey, you've been working me really hard. It just went off. Uh, and, And I'm like, air conditioning is a good thing. That's not very spiritual, but it is. When we tithe, when we give, that's just one of those things that we're able to do. On top of that, we're able to do ministry all around the world as we support missionaries, as we support different things that are going on in the world. So all that to say, those are just a couple of the things that your tithes and your giving participate in. Uh, and we thank you. Uh just want to continue to thank you for your faithfulness in that as we continue to do the things that God has called us to do. Uh we've had a full summer, we've had a, a packed summer with lots of different activities that have been on our campus and that is not going to stop. Uh over the next couple of weeks we have several homeschool groups that are going to start to meet on our campus and use our campus to to reach those families. Uh you'll see in your handout that we are going to start some ballet classes for little people. Uh in the next couple of weeks, God has just given us more and more opportunities to serve and reach our community. So you'll make sure that you dive into those opportunities. We've had an opportunity for the last couple of weeks to work with the New Life Mission in Brevard County, serving women and children in their new place of ministry. And that we're going to continue that relationship. There are so many other things that are happening in the life of our church. Continue to get involved. One of the dates that I'd ask you to write down, I'd ask you to write down September 12th. On September 12th, that's a Sunday, it's a Sunday after Labor Day weekend, we're going to launch a brand new sermon series, but really we're going to launch a new emphasis for our church. Last year at this time, we were talking about a new thing we were doing called Experiencing God. Uh, This year, our emphasis, our theme for the fall is called Wired That Way, and it's really got two purposes to it. One is as we have grown, there are a lot of people around, and I try to do it during the welcome. but the welcome time just isn't enough. There are lots of people around you that you may not know. If you've been here for 20 years or if you've been here for 20 minutes, there is somebody around you that you don't know yet. And we need to have an opportunity to get to know one another and continue becoming the church that God has called us to be. We can't just be this little group over here. We can't just be this little huddle over here. We can't just be that small group that meets then and this small group that meets then. We need to become the family, the faith family that Karen and I often refer to us as. And so on September 12th, we're gonna begin an emphasis called Wired That Way. And it's gonna be focusing on who you are as, as an individual, but how you plug into the body as a whole. What are your spiritual gifts? Where does your heart beat? Uh, what are your natural gifts and abilities? Uh, what's your personality like? What are the experiences that have shaped you in life? And what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the mix? And how do you need to get plugged in? We're going to spend the entire fall focusing on those aspects about how God has shaped you, how God has wired you, and how that falls into our mission as a faith family. And we're going to emphasize that through our worship time, but also in our small groups. And one of the ways that we're going to do small groups, and you'll see this play out in the weeks ahead, is that we are going to meet during our Bible Fellowship Hour, nine fifteen to 10-15. We're going to all meet in the fellowship hall around tables. We're going to spend time getting to know one another and spend time going deeper in all of these different avenues of how God has built us. So please write down September 12th as we get started with Wired That Way and that emphasis and what we're doing. Thank Between now and then we're going to continue our series through our summer in the Psalms and today we're in 42, 42 and 43 actually. One of the comments I got from last week's message was simply folks telling me that they weren't aware of the relationship between Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. We were specifically looking at 32 last week but we had to draw Psalm 51 because they're related and furthermore folks weren't aware of the relationship between those two Psalms and the passages in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, and my response to that is, that's awesome. I'm glad you didn't know that. I'm glad that you came and learned something new. That's one of the joys of of diving into God's Word, of reading God's Word, of being taught God's Word, of hearing God's Word preached and proclaimed, learning something we didn't know. And it's not always one of those huge light bulb or aha moments, uh, but even just those smaller insights uh, that remind us that there is so much in God's God's word, uh, that we still have to discover no matter how familiar it might be or a specific passage or how many times we've read a verse or read a passage, there is still so much more in scripture that we have to learn. For example, one of those smaller insights, you may or may, uh, already know this, uh, there are 150 Psalms total, 119, number 119 is the longest, but all of the Psalms have been divided into five books. There are five books, uh, Book one is is Psalm one through 42, uh, through 41. Today, we're kind of jump launching book two. Uh, It's 42 through 72, and you can see how they're divided up, but they're divided into five books. And while there's not a definitive reason that this was done, most scholars believe that this was David's attempt at honoring Moses and the Torah, creating five books of Psalms to parallel the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus numbers in Deuteronomy now that while that may not be this profound life-changing fact every insight no matter how large or small every insight is useful by the Holy Spirit as he builds our relationship with scripture that's what that's about that's just having building growing your relationship with scripture for instance uh, but but we don't stop there you don't stop with just the insight the next step is okay now what do I do with that Insight. For example, last week the journey was this: David committed his sin in Second Samuel chapter eleven. David was confronted with his sin in Second Samuel chapter twelve. David confessed his sin in, in Psalm fifty one, and then David celebrated forgiveness from his sin in Psalm thirty two. For everybody that likes alliteration, there it is. The goal. The goal is Psalm 32, forgiveness of sin, which we're all guilty of, and being restored in our relationship to God, being able to celebrate that eternal victory. The goal is Psalm 32, but there is a journey to get there. That's what you do with the insight. You get on the journey. You partake in the journey. We've made a statement each week. There's a psalm for every sigh of the soul. But alongside that truth, I think we can also safely understand that the truth of every psalm is applicable to the activity of our lives. The truth of every psalm is applicable to the activity of our lives. You can apply the Psalms to the activity of your everyday life. When you're navigating life, when you're going through life, you can apply the truth of every Psalm. Not only the Psalms, solid truths to know, but they are solid truths that we can experience, solid truths that we can live out. I hope we've shown that over the last several months, and I believe that we can demonstrate it again today. And with that said, if you are physically able, I would invite you to join me as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 42, we will also read 43, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Psalm chapter 42, starting with verse 1. As we've been doing in our summer in the Psalms, I'd ask that you read it aloud with me. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. "'Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause "'against an unfaithful nation. "'Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person, "'for you are the God of my refuge. "'Why have you rejected me? "'Why must I go about in sorrow "'because of the enemy's oppression? "'Send your light and your truth. "'Let them lead me. "'Let them bring me to your holy mountain, "'to your dwelling place.' Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. Do we stop? <laughs> All right, find it in your Bibles. It's verse three of, of chapter 43. I don't want to read alone. <laughs> chapter 43, verse three. Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God, my greatest joy, I will praise you with the lyre, God, my God. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase and may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started because we have been in your presence, we have heard your voice and we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Before we dive into the actual psalm, I want to give you just a little bit of background about the authors. Uh, Your Bible probably has what is called a subscript. Uh, Just before the psalm begins, this is how mine reads. It says, for the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So who's the choir director? I have no idea. What's a mascal? I don't know that either. Okay, so what do you know? Dr. Key. Who are the sons of Korah? I know this, and why does it matter? In Numbers chapter 16, you may just want to write that down. Numbers chapter 16. You don't have to turn there right now, but it'll make for an interesting read later. Uh, For now, though, let me just uh, give you a couple of the verses. Verse one of Numbers 16 says this. Now Korah, son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. They're tracing everybody back to their tribe here. Levi, Eliab, Reuben. Verse two, Korah took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly. And here it is. And they rebelled against Moses. Moses is God's spokesperson to the people of Israel. God says it. Moses shares it. The people are supposed to obey and follow it. Moses will say, even say later on in the chapter, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do these things and that it wasn't of my own will. God's led me to lead us to do this. It's not me. It's not Moses putting it out there for the benefit of Moses. Moses is not in this for a popularity contest. Moses is not trying to earn his way to the top of the people. Moses is a messenger from God. God says it. Moses shares it and the people are supposed to do it. So when Korah and these other guys whose names I'm not going to try to pronounce again, when these guys rebel against Moses in doing so, they're rebelling against God. And before the end of the chapter, oh, it's so cool. The end of the chapter at the end of the chapter, God literally opens up the earth. Verse 32 says the earth opens its mouth and it swallows them and their household and all their possessions. I got a little too excited when I read that for the first time. I was like, that's so cool, put that in a movie. Like raw, you know, that kind of thing. But what we learn in First Chronicles number sixteen, but if you go to First Chronicles, these are Old Testament, the history in the Old Testament, we learn that there are survivors in this family. First Chronicles tells us that these sons of Korah, they escape judgment. God, God lets them out of judgment, and they go on to be gatekeepers and worship leaders, as indicated by the Psalms they've written. They become gatekeepers and worship leaders in the house. Of the Lord. Here is just one more example of God's redeeming love and his work in and through our lives. When God redeems us, he redeems us for a purpose. So here are these guys whose heritage is rebellion against God, but who God redeems and they become gatekeepers and worship leaders in the house of the Lord. These are our authors, the redeemed sons of Korah. And so here we go and we start reading. We read these two psalms together that have been written by. these redeemed sons. And most scholars believe that these these two psalms, these two songs, they're actually one. There is a separation between 42 and 43 because as we'll hopefully experience before we leave today, there's a shift in the author's perspective as well as in his spirit. As he is bringing his burden before the Lord, something changes. The psalm is divided into three sections. Chapter 42, verses 1 through 5. Chapter 42, verses 6 through 11. Chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. Part of the reason I'm walking through all of this is because I want to encourage you we're going we're gonna to do one through 50 this summer. We've still got devotional books left if you'd like to grab one. Next summer, we're going to look at 51 through 100. We're going to have another summer in the Psalms, should the Lord tarry and allow us to have another summer. We're going to do 51 through 100. We're going to have another devotional book. We're just going to focus on those 50. One of the things that we're trying to help with, we're trying to get everybody in the practice in, you can have, uh, maybe you don't, every morning you don't have the, the 20, 30 minute Bible study time. Maybe that's something you do later in the day, and you've just been trying to figure out how to do something to get started with your day. It is, it is one of the easiest things in the world to just read a psalm a day. Today's August 1st. Start with Psalm 1. That was great. Half of you looked like that. Like three people went, but it wasn't like you were being a part of the conversation. You were like, you're an idiot. That's our pastor but you can read a psalm a day. You could read a psalm a day and it would take about 150 if not more because Psalm 119 is kind of long, but you could get in the habit of every morning, just starting every morning with a psalm. And so, but then there's a difference between reading and diving in a little bit deeper and studying and that's where we come to our time together in small groups and in worship and in, in preaching and proclaiming the word of God. It's divided into these three sections And each section ends with the same quote. Look at verse 5. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. This phrase repeats itself two more times. The second time is in verse 11. The third time is in chapter 43, verse 5. And it will tell us two or three of the things that are going on. Number one, whatever this season is in the author's life, he is struggling. Whatever it is, we're not completely specifically sure, but whatever this season of his life is like, he is struggling. He is struggling mentally. He is struggling emotionally. He is struggling spiritually. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head up and down or or sideways. But how many of you have ever struggled mentally, emotionally, or, or spiritually? How many of you have ever known somebody who has struggled mentally, emotionally, or spiritually? How many of you know someone right now who is struggling mentally, emotionally, or spiritually? The truth is, all of us have either been there, done that, headed for it, or know somebody who's in the midst of it right now. And there is a psalm for every sigh of the soul. And the truth of every psalm is applicable to the activity of our lives. And so what happens is the, the, the author is just saying, this is what I'm going through. And in our translation, we use the word dejected. Your translation may use the word despair. Why are you in despair, my soul? And the Hebrew word is shaka and it is it literally means to crouch down but it doesn't mean like to like you're avoiding it's crouching down in the fetal position you feel the weight you feel the burden life is coming at you and it is crushing you down into the fetal position whatever the author is experiencing it is weighing on him and it is weighing in him chuck Swindle uses the phrase uh, churning within there is a churning within the author something is going on and it won't let him rest it won't let him sleep it won't Give up on him. It won't. It won't. It won't release him, or he can't relax from it. It is just tightening him up. It is churning within. It is crouching him down. Why are you, My why? My soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. Secondly, what this phrase does is it breaks up the psalm into these stanzas, so to speak, and it creates sort of a progression of the author's journey through the season. A progression that will end really in health and wholeness, mental health and wholeness, emotional health and wholeness, spiritual health and wholeness. Go back to verse one. As a deer longs for streams, so I long for you, God. Verse two, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Verse three, my tears have been my food day and night. Well, all day long, people say to me, where is your God? In John chapter 4, Jesus is at Jacob's well in Samaria talking with the Samaritan woman. She comes that morning, Jesus is sitting there, she comes not that morning, she comes that afternoon to get, uh, to get water. She comes in the heat of the day so that the people around her won't see her because she has a reputation she sits down and then Jesus begins to talk with her. Here's a Jew talking with a Samaritan woman and Jesus looks at her and he says, give me a drink. And then she looks at goes, and she goes, it's, it's, wait a minute, you're a Jew and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Because Samaritans and Jews had nothing to do with one another. They despised one another. Specifically, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans as they were less than people. They were they were animals. And Jesus looks at her and he says, he says, if you knew who I was, if you knew who, who I am, if you knew who you were talking to, it is you who would ask me for a drink. And not only would I give you a drink, but I would give you a living water. Matter of fact, specifically, this is what he says. Everyone who drinks from this water, the water from out of the well, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will be a well of water springing up from within him for eternal life. How does this relate to Psalm 42? A lot of the time that we see water referenced in Scripture, especially in the Psalms when it's being used as a metaphor or a simile, there is a pretty good chance that that water is referring to the ultimate satisfaction that we can only find with God in Christ Jesus. As the deer longs for flowing streams, I thirst for God. My tears have been my food. In this first section, the author is longing for God. Jesus said in his sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Where is righteousness found? Where can righteousness be obtained? For the author, it's only in God's presence. For you and I, it is in God's presence by the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Keep reading. Go to the second section. Look at verse six. I'm deeply depressed. We're gaining a little more insight to the inner turmoil the author is experiencing. It might be a sin issue that is eating away at him. We talked a little bit about that last week. It might simply be life's circumstances crashing all down around him. It may be the oppression from, from those who are around him. You see several different times in the Psalm that he's, he's being chastised by, by the people around him. One of the things they say in verse three is the pagans around him are saying, where is your God? You're struggling with all of these things. You as a people are going through this. So where is your God? Where's the big guy now? What's he done for you lately? And that's what the author may be experiencing. It might be the sin in his own life. It may just be circumstances. Or it may be the oppression for the people around him. Whatever the case, I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you. He's speaking to God. I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your... Billows have swept over me. The Lord will send His faithful love day by day. His love will be with me in the night. It will be a prayer to the God of my life. We have moved from a drought. As the deer panteth for water, we've moved from a drought to a storm, from tears being my food to billows and breakers sweeping over me. I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. The peaks of Hermon, if you can see this, that's not a cloud. This is the peaks of the Hermon Range. I may be saying it wrong, but I think it's the Hermon Range. This is the highest point in all of Israel. And the rains and the snows on top of this mountain peak, I'm getting on my toes like I'm trying to touch it. Um, I'm so stupid Um, this is the highest point in all of Israel and what will happen is the rains and the snow this is what provides the river This is what is the source of the Jordan River. Mazar, on the other hand, you can't see because Mazar literally means littleness, smallness. And it's a small mountain that's right next to the Herman Range. And what is happening in a sense is the author is saying, I am drowning in this experience. As the snow and the water cascade down from this mountain, I am Mazar and I am drowning. But I remember my God, my longing, has turned into remembering and I'm starting to sense some measure of peace in the, even in the midst of my circumstance. I am going to be one of the first, one that, first ones that look at you and tell you depression is a very, very real thing. We have people all around us who are struggling, who are walking through something, who are walking through some sort of darkness. And there are times where it is their own sin that they are dealing with. But there are some times where it is just life that is caving in. They are longing for something outside of themselves. They are looking for a rope. They are looking for a life raft. They are looking for something. And for the believer and for the person who isn't believing yet, we can look at them and say, "Remember, you're longing, but now remember." And then we begin to point to them what God has done for us before, what we have seen God do in other people's lives. Here's it's like a uh, it's 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 the peace in the midst of the circumstances that is obtainable. It can be found in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is on a boat, and he is, he is on the boat, and he's trying to get from one side of the sea to the other. And when he gets on the boat, Jesus decides to take a nap. And while Jesus is taking a nap, there, a storm hits the sea. And Julie and I have been there, and what happens is, is the sea is, is this big bowl. And so what happens when a storm comes through, the reasons the storms are so huge is because they just swirl and they build on themselves. So this storm is happening while Jesus is taking a nap, and the disciples are freaking out. So the disciples go, and they're, what's the deal, teacher? Are you not concerned that we're about to die? And that wakes Jesus up. Jesus gets up. Jesus rebukes the wind, And then to the sea, he says, silence. Your translation may say peace. And then he says, be still and everything's calm. Because even in their panic, even in their storm, even in the midst of the circumstance that was swallowing them, the, the disciples at least remembered who was on the boat with them. You follow? Do you understand that no matter what you're going through, Somebody's on the boat with you. The psalmist must have had other experiences, stories that have been passed down or even parts of his own personal testimony of God's provision in his life because he remembers, verse eight, the Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. He longs, he remembers Thirdly, he trusts. Chapter 43, verse 1 Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. We get an idea that whatever depression he is experiencing has either been caused or enhanced by the pagans around him. Not only is his turmoil and inner struggle There's also apparently persecution coming from the outside sources. Vindicate me, God. Champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person. Verse 2, for you are the God of my refuge. I don't think this. I don't wonder this. I don't just hope this. I know this. You are the God of my refuge. I'm still struggling with rejection, God. I'm still struggling with sorrow. My enemies are still coming at me. My circumstances are still there, but you remain the God of my refuge. He doesn't necessarily promise us that he's going to just pull us out from that situation and and put us somewhere safe. He doesn't just just promise us that he's going to just automatically take us out of the circumstances that we're in. What more than likely, what more often than not is going to happen. He didn't look at Daniel and go, "Hey, I'm going to get you out of that lions den." He didn't look at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and said, "I'm going to pull you out of that furnace." He didn't look at his boy and tell you, "I'm going to get you off of that cross." What he did to Daniel was he said, I'm going to be in the, in the lion's den with you. What he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is he went into the fiery furnace with him. What he did with his son was he let him go through it and come out of it resurrected. When you are in the midst of your circumstance, don't just look for the way out. Look for the Savior who is there with you. Verse three, send your light, send your truth. You're the God of my refuge, so send your light, send your truth, let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. I've mentioned food, I've mentioned water, but what I really need, what I need more than anything else, I, don't, I need food, I need water, but what I need more than anything else is I need your presence. Oh God. Then, verse four, then I will come to the altar of God. Here it is, to God. My greatest joy. When is the last time you were able to look at the Lord and just tell Him, You are my greatest joy? greater than anything this world can ever offer me. Thank, that greater than anything, can, there, there is nothing, nothing on this side of life that compares to you. There is nothing, nothing on this side of life that comes close to your word, to your presence, to your spirit, to your love, to your you fill in the blank. There is nothing greater, nothing brings me greater though, the joy than to be in your presence. I can have fun doing this and I enjoy doing this, but when I want real, unshakable eternal joy. You are it. You are my greatest joy. There is no one like you. Man, that is good stuff. But only when we apply it to our lives. Only when we recognize it, only when we embrace it, only when we free ourselves up to his Holy Spirit to have his way in and through our lives. The world tells us to fill our lives. The world actually tells us to fulfill our lives with this, 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 or this. And not all of it's bad. Some of it's good stuff, but none of it is fulfilling. Only his presence and his activity in our lives. That is joy. That is fulfillment. That is why we were created in the first place. None of that comes close to God and his glory. And then the reoccurring verse, chapter 43, verse five, it takes on a slightly different perspective because it takes on a slightly different tone. When he was longing, it meant one thing. When he was remembering, it was another, but now he's trusting. (laughs) Why my soul? Why am I so dejected? Why? Why am I in such turmoil? I put my hope in God. I will praise him. He is my Savior and he is my God. I longed for you. I remembered you and I was reminded that I can trust you. That no matter the circumstances, even in the pain, I can trust you. I asked you to remember one date. Can you remember what that date was? September. September. Gold starter, Renee. September 12th, we're gonna begin our emphasis wired that way. I want you to write another date down. May 1st. I'm a planner. (laughs) I do not want you to miss that Sunday. May 1st. My friend, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. is gonna be with us. Dr. Smith is one of my favorite people on the planet. Dr. Smith is the Expository preaching professor at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. He and his wife are actually in Cincinnati, and Dr. Smith is always preaching, always writing, always doing something somewhere for the cause of Christ and the building of his kingdom. I would put Dr. Smith in my top five, not just of preachers, but of communicators. We that needs to be another that needs to be our second Easter Sunday of twenty twenty two. You can be in here, you can watch it online. I'm just saying, May 1st, you want to be here and you want to be a part of that. I've invited Dr. Smith to be with us. I'd asked him to come and be a part. I actually wanted him to preach this message because he could do it far greater than I ever could think to. Because several years ago, on October 30th, 2010, Dr. Smith entered into one of the darkest seasons of his own personal life. On October 30th, 2010, Dr. Smith and his wife Wanda got a call right before, right around midnight, a little after midnight, that his son had been shot. And Dr. Smith entered into a painful season because he had just lost his son. And Dr. Smith wrote this book, it's called The Oasis of, uh, Oasis of God From Morning to Morning, M O U R N I N G. To M O R N I N G. Based on the journey that he took on, starting October 30th, 2010. And he says this and just, sorrow endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is about my third copy of this book because as I've read it and highlighted in it, I've had to give it away to other people who are walking through their own journeys and their own struggles. And what Dr. Smith talks about as he navigates, not just in this book, but when he shares, he'll do something different in May, but when he shares as he's walking through Psalm 42 and 43 is that he started off in this, this, this terrible news and this horrible, horrible situation. And all he longed for in that moment was the presence of God. He found himself spinning. He found himself wondering what was going on all around him. And he wondered why he was in such despair. He wondered wondered why his soul was in such turmoil. But then he remembered he could still praise God, that God was still God, and God had not left the throne. And then he moved from his longing to this season of remembering, remembering what God had done in the past, remembering how God had provided for him, remembering what he had seen God do—not just in others' life, but what he had seen God do in his own life and around him. And he remembered that even in this season of great despair, even in this season of great turmoil, God was still God, and God was still on the throne. And as he longed, he remembered, and then he finally got to a place where he remembered he could trust God—that God. That God God was still God and that God was still on the throne and God had never abdicated his own faithfulness. God had never surrendered his own sovereignty. That God was still in control and that God would still be God in Robert Smith's life. And he journeyed through this 42 and this 43 so that he could come to this place where he, like the psalmist, said, why am I in despair? Why am I in such turmoil? My hope is in God. Church family, where is your hope today? Because if it's in circumstances, they will fail you. If it is in people, as good-intentioned as they might be, at some point they might fail you. This world is going to fail you. But you can put your hope in a God who is still on the throne. If you don't have a relationship with that God, through His Son, Jesus Christ... There is nothing I'd rather talk to you about than how to start that today. And as soon as I pray in just a moment, I'll say amen and the music will start playing and people will start visiting, but I will be right here, Karen will be right there. There are people around you, we'd love nothing more than to talk with you about a relationship with Jesus. You may have a relationship with Jesus and you need to make that public by getting baptized like Miss Marie and Troy were last week. You may be saying, I need to be a part of a faith family. I need to surround myself with, with, with messengers of that hope. We'd love to talk with you about that too. But as you're leaving here and as you're entering into this week, a week that has already been defined for us with uncertainty and questions and urgency and this and confusion, I can tell you that in the midst of all of that, you can and should put your hope in God because he is still God and he is still on the throne and all God's people said. Father, thank you for another day that we could dive into your word together. May your Holy Spirit give us the boldness, the courage, and the strength to put our hope in you and may the hope that we find in you be contagious to those all around us And Father, may we have an impact on this community and on this county for the kingdom of God. May you continue to be at work in and through this place for our good and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll either see you Wednesday night or we'll see you next Sunday morning.